As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. I'm so excited to share this upcoming podcast with you. It is deep and juicy. I spoke with Jennifer Sommerfeld. She has nearly two decades of experience in maternal health and psychology. She is a childbirth advocate, a maternal educator, a doula, a midwifery apprentice, and most recently she published a book, well, authored a book, Healing After Birth, Navigating Your Emotions After a Difficult Birth. And that's exactly what we talked about. We talked about dealing with birth trauma and the next steps to unpacking those emotions and moving forward and recognizing them, recognizing those big emotions, understanding the relationship of birth trauma and postpartum depression. It is a very packed, empowering, very full, juicy conversation. I so hope you enjoy it. Before we do that, I just want to give a few shout outs. So I love looking on iTunes and seeing what kind of comments or conversations are being held. And I want to give a shout out because Jay Solomon left a really kind, beautiful review. I want to read it to you. I started to listen to Deb's podcasts recently after attending her prenatal yoga classes in New York City. I love the variety of discussions and speakers. The data-driven podcasts are incredibly informative and the community stories are so comforting. Thank you so much for leaving that, for taking the time and letting the whole podcasting community know your experience. If you have a moment, the way that people will find the podcast and let it and let it continue to grow is to leave a rating review. So I invite you to do so. And I also want to open up the conversation that if there's a topic I haven't covered, or maybe I have covered it, but you want me to go deeper or take another angle, please let me know. I'm here to serve. I'm here to continue to spark conversation and ideas and to help create this uh, abundant experience of parenthood and pregnancy and birth. So feel free to reach me at deb at prenatalyogacenter.com if you have some ideas. I also am so excited to announce that our fall New York City teacher training is already filling. So excited. I'm like, wow, it's January and we already have some spots taken and some applications. And just last week, I finalized the dates for late fall to return to Yoga One in Charlotte, North Carolina. So those dates are already on the website. So if you can't make it to New York and you want to do this teacher training and you might be able to get to Charlotte, jump on board. Um, we have 15 spots available because we just announced it, so no spots are taken. All right, is there anything else? No, I don't think so. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation. Take care. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Jennifer, I'm so excited to speak with you. Thank you for giving me some time. Thank you, Deb, for having me on your show. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of fun to know that you're up in Canada and you carved out time for us. And I love that I get to speak with people from all over the world. So it's really exciting. So tell me also a little bit about where you are. You're Where are you exactly? Well, I'm located in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So central west, just above Montana. Okay. It's a little cold. Yeah. It's cold. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's cold and it's snowing and it's Canada. <laughs> it just makes me like want to curl up with a blanket and have some hot chocolate, but I guess life has to yeah. still go on. <laughs> well, yes, it does. <laughs> so I read your book. I'm glad that you reached out because anytime I see things about dealing with difficult births and navigating that, I'm just drawn to that. I feel like it's a topic that too many people either feel embarrassed to talk about or don't know how to talk about it or don't have the support. So when I believe it must have been your your publisher or your PR person reached out, I was all over that. So super excited to dive into this conversation. As we do so, before we do so, let's just jump into a little bit about you, <laughs> what brought you into this whole birth world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting good at answering this question. <laughs> I, you know, like many of us who are passionate about the culture of birth started when I was pregnant with my first child and just kind of, uh, rewinding that a little bit before I was pregnant with my first child, I was studying in grad school in the department of kinesiology in the field uh, of sports psychology. I think now it's considered to be performance psychology. And so I, um, as a former athlete myself, had a real passion about uh, our physiology, our capacity to peak perform, to push us to these edges, and, you know, the, the mental and the emotional preparation that goes along with these peak performances. So I wove that into my preparation of my first birth experience. So my son will be 19 this year, so about almost 20 years ago. I was pregnant with my first child, and like many of us, I had no idea what existed behind that curtain. And, you know, I say this because for, for many of us who are pregnant for the very first time, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, now in 2019 or back in the, you know, 2000, 1999s or back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. There, there seems to be this separation that we experience as pregnant moms. And that separation is what I consider to be what's behind that veil of the whole entire continuum of what happens when we become a mom. Mm -hmm. And nobody really talks about it. And we're, you know, raised, many of us, generally speaking, are raised in environments, in those nuclear environments, in which we just don't hear the everyday experiences of the trials and tribulations of becoming a mother. Nor, as I mentioned in my book, do we centralize on motherhood, you know? So I say that motherhood's way out there on the edges, and you know, consumerism and <laughs> being able to um, participate in this uh, wheel of economics is what's at the center. Mm -hmm. And I guess if I had a dream, it'd be to be able to shift those around. But regardless, I'm going off topic here. So what got me into my passion was the information that I came across, not only through my lived experiences of becoming a mother, I was young, I was in my early 20s, but the information that was withheld from me. And like many of us, I started that journey with the initiation of reading what to expect when you're expecting. And I was very excited to be a part of this club. And very soon into that experience, on my own will, I realized that this was not going to be the book that informed me about my experience that was up and coming because I felt terror 
as I was reading the content of that book. Yeah, I refer to that as the book of fear. (laughs) Yeah, and so those of us that are birth junkies, we're, you know, we get it, right? (laughs) The book of everything that can go wrong. In fact, when my students ask me about that book, I'm like, just throw it away. And and here's a list of other ones. Yes, exactly. And I did the same thing. Um, but, but it is an initiation, you know, it's still out there. It's still often the book that new moms are excited to read. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's in this Bible of a book? And, you know, so (laughs) for me, yeah, for me in my early twenties, it was fear. It was terror. It was, um, it was anti- empowerment. It was anti-womanhood. It it was anti-motherhood. It was, you know, pro-medicalization in the sense of just surrender your your bodies to us and we're going to take care of the rest. And that taking care of the rest uh, was just instinctively, intuitively, I knew was utterly disempowering, but was not the way that I wanted to experience birth. I didn't know anything about these other ways of birthing. I just knew physically that my body had the capacity to perform. So I, I brought that into my, um, I guess you would just say, insatiable need to consume material on what does this world consist of. So when you when you moved away from the what to expect when expecting, what did you gravitate towards in, in terms of books or there wasn't even a ton of websites back then. Um, there were, well, there were yeah. websites. <laughs> no, and I say no. this like, cause I'm around your age and I'm like, I remember like starting to understand yeah. this web. So what did you gravitate towards? Cause I know there were some pretty strong, um, very pro empowerment books. I'm curious what mm-hmm. you've stumbled upon. Yeah. So I think I was really fortunate and and you probably won't be surprised because the next book that was Anime. shared with me, yes, was <laughs> Spiritual Midwifery. Um, so Anime's Guide to Childbirth was not published yet. So mm-hmm. it was Spiritual Midwifery. And now you need to understand, I lived in a very, um, generally speaking, you know, masculine-dominated athletic world. And I very much embodied those characteristics And so I'm reading Spiritual Midwifery. I'm not a hippy-dippy granola person yet. And (laughs) I'm floored by the juxtaposition and the languaging. And And it just just like opened this world up of, oh my goodness, that also felt really scary for me. You know, like I'm going to have basically an orgy while (laughs) I'm giving birth. And, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, our, our vagina with all of these different kinds of words that I felt were really uncomfortable. And so both of these books were really challenging for me. But I knew in my body that what Aina was saying held truth. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't very long after that. I, by the time I was eight months pregnant, I switched care providers on my own will. So I had something in me that was very self-directed. And I'm a big proponent of owning your birth and being self-directed in that experience mm-hmm. and cultivating the team that you need to be able to have the experience so that you feel like you're in charge and in control of it to the degree that you can be. Mm -hmm. So I I just naturally did this, you know, must have just been my personality or my drive at that time. And I switched care providers. I hired a midwife, paid for a midwife up here in Canada, sold my motorcycle to pay for my midwife. (laughs) Okay, you're getting the picture of who (laughs) I I was. I very much am, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm a very different person now, but... um, and knew instinctively for me, based on the research that I had done, that choosing to birth at home with a registered midwife at that time was the best option um, that I could think of that was going to give me the most probable positive outcome. That's kind of unusual for an early 20-something-year-old mm-hmm. who knows nothing about this cultural milieu. I had a really empowering birth experience with my first child. I had a, I don't need to go into that story, but it really catapulted me and and lit this fire. So like many of us, we get this fire lit 
And whether that fire is being lit through a difficult, traumatic, challenging childbirth experience or whether it's lit through an ecstatic, empowering birth experience, something gets ignited. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened for me. And so the next um, part of that journey is more where I come into what my current passion is and why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. So I can keep going if you're okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm also curious as I was reading your bio that you also became a maternal educator and a doula and a midwifery assistant. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really taking it to the education. Um, and I love that mm-hmm. you then turned that into getting it even further out with a book. Mm-hmm. And um, and then taking it further to do my master's in, in counseling so that yeah. I could serve. It's, it's, I've gone full circle. So just like in a quick nutshell, yeah, that passion ignited a fire in me. I knew this was where I needed to go. I didn't know what that was going to mean. So it just made sense to begin with consuming as much information as I could. So the next books that I came across, and this is what really did it for me. Um, were uh, Birth Without Violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's Grantly Dick Reed. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Or no, Frederick Lavoyer. Oh, it's Frederick. It's, am I wrong? Is it Dick Lee? Is it Frederick? I think uh, Childbirth Without Fear is Grantly Dick Reed. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I was thinking Without Fear, yes. Am okay. I? Yeah. And then Birth Without Violence, I believe, was um, the other one I just said. Lavoyer, Frederick Lavoyer. I'll put Came that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. So came across his work, uh, was completely floored and then came across Immaculate Deception by Suzanne Arms. Mm. Now these are 70s, 60s books. Mm -hmm. And what they were highlighting was what we now know as obstetrical violence. And they weren't calling it obstetrical violence and they weren't calling it birth trauma because we didn't have the language for it yet. But they were showing the impact that these behaviors, these protocols that we just consider to be norms, the impact that this was having. And I knew in my bones that this was wrong. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was wrong. Like that, you know, simple answer is that. It's like there is something seriously wrong with this paradigm of birth. And I made it my mission. You know, it's that mission of I'm going to save every mom. <laughs> and um, and so that is what ignited my fire to become a doula, to become a childbirth educator, to create my own childbirth program, um, which at that time was called Overcoming Childbirth Fears. I co-created that with a colleague of mine, a business partner of mine. And then that ignited my fire to spend eight years studying traditional midwifery and then going on to have two apprentices and then facing the challenges that we face within the world of midwifery, which is a very political milieu with many different regulatory bodies. And that can make it very challenging for one to become a professional regulated midwife. And then finally, I decided I'm going to go back to school. And I and, and this all came about because of my own diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder and my own healing journey in which I started to become informed about the neurobiology of trauma and how we heal. And then I became passionate and I smashed the two together and realized that these two worlds, these two paradigms, this trauma-informed, trauma theory, attachment theory, neurobiology paradigm can easily merge with our birth milieu. And we need to bring these together so that we can support um, not only more healing for moms in that postpartum period, but actually bring forward the conversation around obstetrical violence, birth trauma, and the implications that this is having on mothers in the postpartum period and the long-term implications of it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, let's use that as a, that's fantastic. Let's use it as a jumping off point. So for those listening, hearing words like birth trauma, uh, obstetrical violence, can I, what would be your definition of birth trauma? So someone might hear that and be like, oh, I relate to that. I didn't even know that's what it was called. Yeah. So many of us do not identify our births as having been traumatic. That word in and of itself is quite loaded. Um, and so let me begin by unpacking the definition of trauma, and then we'll talk about how that shows up in the birthing yes. experience. And let's also just, before we dive into this heavier part of the conversation, um, I want to just bring reverence to the conversation and for our listeners to recognize that this could be challenging or triggering. And if at any point you need to take a break from the conversation, just go do what you need to do to keep yourself centered and safe. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know, trauma is... It seems simple to just say the definition. I have a lot of words before I answer these questions. <laughs> um, it seems really simple. I can just quote the definition. But I have spent the past 10 years integrating what do we really mean when we are talking about these things. So trauma is the experience that we hold in our bodies, in our psyches, in our souls. Um, after having endured an event that has challenged us so we have felt horror, terror, right? Mm -hmm. um, utter sense, our lack of safety, and we had no way to escape it. And then we have a response to that circumstance. And we have a physiological response and we have a psychological response to that circumstance. So it's an event. When we've experienced an event in our lives in which we felt utter terror. Now we could witness something or we could be the victim of it, the experiencer of it. Either way, we felt like we had no power, no control to do anything about it. And so our nervous system reacts appropriately because we are mammals so our nervous system reacts appropriately and trauma is what happens when we can't complete that stress response when we can't discharge that energy and information that is moving through our system because it's it's attempting to mobilize us you know, it triggers that sympathetic nervous system so that we can have a fight or flight response we know about this but if we can't actually discharge that energy after the vent is over and we can't store it as episodic memory, as information that has a beginning, middle, and an end, and we're trapped in a what we would consider to be a trauma response or a survival response, that's what we would define as trauma. 
So what kind of impact then does that have on a person that experienced this? So that's a massive question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a simple answer. It destroys our lives. (laughs) The simple (laughs) answer is that we are trapped in a survival response and we've not had the opportunity to sort out that material physiologically and psychologically, it wrecks havoc on our entire nervous system. And that means it deteriorates mental health. It deteriorates emotional health. It deteriorates um, physical health. It deteriorates our immune system and it deteriorates relational health. So basically it messes with everything. Okay. So, yes. And, no, I'm and just so processing I, that. I, <laughs> like, so, yeah. So, uh-huh. here's that massive occurrence during already a huge transition. And then now someone's also trying to take on the role of a parent. Yeah. So let's back up and let's answer how does child. Yeah, totally. Right. So you're, you're, you're feeling the I'm processing of it. this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there are a lot of. <laughs> irons in the fire, right? There's a, there's a lot of strands that we need to unpack to really recognize the implications of this. So let's go back. You asked the question, what is birth trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, you can understand how, when we are in the vulnerability, when we are experiencing one of the most vulnerable events of our life, we are at risk of feeling helpless in that experience. So birth in and of itself is stressful. It's meant to be. This whole continuum from conception till, you know, well, goes on and on and on, but let's just say conception till the end of the fourth trimester is meant to be stressful. It's not like it's an easy ride, mm-hmm. but there's a, there's a normal amount of stress in which our system is tolerating that, sorting it out, and it's a good thing. And then there's too much stress, which I call a toxic amount of stress. And so you could imagine that during labor and delivery, that event in and of itself is a highly stressful event. Your body is doing something that truly is, in my opinion, magical in the sense that it doesn't always make sense to our logical brain. How does this bony structure, how does it fit through my pelvis? How does it fit through my vaginal canal? How is that going to happen without it actually killing me? Right? Logically, we're just like, this is, this is crazy making. (laughs) How have we been defined, just designed this way? But then when we learn about the mysterious magical components of what happens when our body is so beautifully designed to be able to open and stretch and that um, when we engage with these altered states of consciousness in which we give birth in, because we do not give birth in beta reality, which is our normal everyday thinking reality that's often in a high stress response talking, controlling, all of those kinds of things. This is not where we give birth from. We have to engage that altered state of consciousness. Some people call it labor land, Mm -hmm. but we need to get out of the way. We need to get our prefrontal cortex offline so that we can go into these deeper states of consciousness so that what I believe to be like a magic can happen where cells become spacious, molecules become spacious, and these babies are born. So you can imagine that that in and of itself is a pretty vulnerable experience. And now we're adding different kinds of um, circumstances. And if we feel like those circumstances, if we perceive them as being threatening in any way or harmful in any way, or if we're panicking about whether or not our baby's well-being is okay, or if we're receiving some kind of internal examination that is triggering historical information or memories or is very, very painful, or if we're enduring pain for a really long period of time, or if we're being treated really poorly, or if we feel like we're abandoned or neglected or that we just can't escape the experience of birth, we could, I'm not saying you will, we could 
experience that birth as a threat to not only our survival, but our baby's survival, Mm -hmm. which will then trigger a survival response, a threat response. So there's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of factors at play that could result in us not having the experience that we wanted to have. On top of that, many of us have unwanted birth outcomes, right? We have unexpected birth outcomes in which we didn't really perceive that as having been traumatic because our vision of trauma is something that's far more horrifying than what happened to us. But we had an unwanted cesarean section or we had an unwanted interventive birth. We had unwanted pain medication or we had unwanted vaginal exams, for example, If in that experience we felt totally out of control and we felt completely disempowered by it, and somewhere along the way we felt worried, we felt not just worry, but actual terror that something might go wrong and we're frozen in that, then we've internalized that birth as having been traumatic, highly stressful. And now our system is in what we would call a survival response or a trauma response. And that has implications on our health. So now we can get into that other part. Is that helpful? Yeah, that totally breaks it down. Yes. And I think our listeners will be able to really understand that. Yeah. So many of us, A, don't perceive our birth as having been traumatic because we're alive and our baby is alive, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's this overarching, you know, stroke of, well, everything's okay. I managed. It's over now. I want to shut the door on that and let's never look back on it because now I need to focus on survival in the postpartum. But whatever, I'm glad it's done. So there's a compartmentalizing that happens, right? There's a, there's a, a complete sever, um, severance or, or separation from that experience. And really, when you speak to moms about this, they'll often say, I don't want to look there. That's done. Why do I need to go back there? So let's look at how, if that's kind of living in the background, what is the relationship then between birth trauma and postpartum depression? Because I'm, I keep mm-hmm. thinking if we don't actually acknowledge emotions because they're so great. They're still going to seep into every fiber of our being. There must, or maybe not must, but it seems logical that there's a relationship into the postpartum depression situation that is so vast. Yes. So thank you for acknowledging that there seems to be a logical explanation to this. This is one of my passions, and and you may or may not have um, watched the series, the, the video series I have on my website, which is what your doctor's probably not telling you about postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, and so I unpack this, I, this exact notion that we're about to talk about in that video series. Um, it, is, it is logical when we look at it through this lens. When we look at it through the neurobiological lens of what happens if our nervous system is trapped in a survival response, which, by the way, is a trauma response. So we can kind of use those interchangeably. And I prefer using survival or stress response because it seems to be more digestible. Everybody can relate to what it's like to be like, yeah, I was in survival. Mm -hmm. I was, you know. Okay, I'm trapped in that. Okay, so when we look at the impact that this has, because of advancements in neuroscience and technology like fMRIs, we know that if we have too much adrenaline trapped in our nervous system and too much cortisol that comes on as the brakes, it's trying to slow down the adrenaline, we know the implications that this is having on our brain. And so we know um, broadly that it creates what we consider to be an incoherent system. And meaning, and the way that I like to think about this is, let's just imagine that, um, you know, like the base of your brain, that it's like a circuit board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's imagine that your nervous system is kind of plugging into that circuit board. And when all of the things are plugged in, you can imagine that that energy and information is flowing nicely, 
harmoniously, right? There's a rhythm to it. It's like you can just sort of see it. You're you're into yoga, so mm-hmm. you can imagine the breath and the energy and like you know the the chi and the prana and all of that is just moving and flowing. When we're in a survival response and we haven't had the opportunity to sort it out, to complete that response, because as a mammal, we're supposed to actually complete that response quite quickly. The minute that we know, we perceive in our environment that the threat is no longer there, it's over now, the mammal system knows what to do to sort out that material, to discharge all of that stressful information. And then it brings itself back to homeostasis instinctively. Mm -hmm. Of course, we get in the way because we have a prefrontal cortex. And so we prevent this from happening. So now you've got the circuits unplugged from the motherboard. And it's like, I visualize it. And this is how my experience of it was, was like these, these circuits are just flailing around you know, like live wires, like it's almost dangerous, like live wires flailing around and they're not plugged into the right circuits. And so the energy and information isn't flowing accordingly in harmony. And we know now that actually what gives rise to mental and emotional health is a harmonious, coherent system. So we know that when we're in a stuck in a trauma response, it deteriorates function of the part of our brain that's responsible for how we not only sort out and store highly charged emotional material, but how we make sense out of it and what we do with all of that emotional material. And we also know that it impacts our prefrontal cortex and our executive functioning. Mm-hmm. We- we also so so let's imagine um, I, I strongly recommend people googling handbrain by Dan Siegel because he has a great little video on this and flipping the lid. So here we are in a survival response. Tons of adrenaline is activated right in our system. It floods the amygdala. The amygdala is the part of our limbic system that's responsible for our emotional world. We have way too much um, adrenaline in, you know, that's now compromising the function of our amygdala, which is to actually sort out that emotional material to help us know what to do with it, to process it. We can't process it. So it's just dumping emotional chemicals into our system, and we feel totally overwhelmed by them. We're not in charge of them. We're just flooded and we can feel the difference, right? So if someone, so we, so we understand there's a relationship between birth trauma, postpartum depression. We know that the birth trauma and postpartum depression are going to impact daily life and the added stress of being a parent. What would, and so say someone recognizes this, like, okay, I'm listening. I I am in that stuck state. I'm really Mm -hmm. having a hard time. What would the healing process look like? How do the, what are some tools? Okay, so um, there's more that I would like to say about oh. how it impacts postpartum oh, sure. depression Great. and anxiety. But I, but if you want to move on, I'm okay to do that too. No, okay, let's, could, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's. Okay, I want you to finish your thoughts because you're, you know, you're the author. You're the one that wrote the book. So if there's still stuff in that you want to get out, absolutely. But then I also do want to give yes. people some some solid tools just to have some, the next step available. Totally, hundred um, percent. So what I would really like for your listeners to understand and why I'm sharing this information in such detail is, A, because I found it incredibly empowering for my healing journey. So there's a bit of a personal you know, thing in there. But also because when you understand what's happening physiologically and why your mental health is deteriorating, especially in the postpartum period, and how that might be connected Two, having experienced a traumatic birth or a birth that that tipped you out of what Dan Siegel calls your window of tolerance, and so now your nervous system is dysregulated, you can do something about it. When I had my postpartum depression with my second and um, when I had with my third, um, 
more trauma based on the experience that I had in my postpartum, I didn't have access to this information. And so what many moms feel, like what I am experiencing by working with moms in the postpartum, is that there's this fear of I'm going to catch postpartum depression and anxiety, so I need to do everything I can to prepare for it. But it's almost as if they're going to war in preparation that I don't catch that thing. Mm -hmm. Because if I catch that thing, I'll be totally immobilized. It's terrifying. I don't want to look at it. And I'm going to be disempowered and I won't know what to do with it because it's haunting. Right? And so the more I unpacked this, the more I realized that this is a continuum. We don't just catch it because our, you know, our hormones are out of balance. Yes, get your hormones checked. We do know that if your thyroid is malfunctioning, that that can have a huge implication on your mental health. So get your hormones checked. That can really help, right? Mm -hmm. But let's look at why your system is in such an activated stress response that it's deteriorating function of your mental and emotional health. And that's showing up in the postpartum because you're in such a vulnerable period of time that it could have been, right, like the straw that broke the camel's back. Is that that statement? That's a really yeah. bad statement. But, <laughs> you know, those acronyms are really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like birth became that last thing that your system could tolerate and then it couldn't tolerate it anymore. Now, what isn't it tolerating? It's that we don't know how to process the emotional material that we're experiencing because there's no space for it. That makes because, me, oh, sorry. I was uh -huh. going to say, yeah. as you were saying that, it sparked something. I remember reading in your book, you had a really big section about shame. And mm -hmm. for whatever, what you just said made me think that, un, that inability to process and recognize and, and maybe even seek help, mm -hmm. part of it could be someone just feels so ashamed and they feel they played a role in this. Can you, can you go into that a little bit? Well, I haven't met a mom that doesn't blame herself or themselves for um, what it is that they're experiencing. We go into these places that trigger and activate these deep core beliefs about ourselves, and we internalize what we're experiencing as a defect, that there's something wrong with me. There was something wrong with my body. Why can't I handle this? What am I, you know, what's wrong with me? This is my fault. And we often get to this place of, I'm a bad mom. And we're terrified of touching that. Mm -hmm. And that, judged by that. Yeah, and we're judging ourselves. We're living in it, but we're not conscious of it. And that gives rise to all of these kind of adaptive behaviors where we're pushing against it because we don't want to feel there. We don't want that to be true. And so I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad person. I'm inadequate. I'm unworthy. There's something wrong with me. You elicit shame. And often it's from those places in the unconscious, the subconscious that we're not aware of, that we don't know how to process it. We don't know what to do with that material that's in our, in our bodies, with that emotional material that's in our bodies. We don't know what to do with all of that felt sensation that's coming through because many of us haven't been taught what to do with too much feeling in our system. And then what do we do with shame? Well, we don't want to look at shame because we don't want that to be true. And then this traps us. And so our perception of what's happening gives rise to how we're experiencing that moment. So going back, I, I'm, I know I'm kind of all over the place. I hope you're following me. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> there are many um, different threads here. Um, so, you know, going back to this idea when I said there's both a physiological and a psychological impact. The physiological impact is what happens instinctively when we perceive something to be a threat to our survival or the survival of our loved ones. We know that this impacts our mental health, emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, and relational health. It has a whole system impact that can devastate us. And I go deeper into this in my book. Um, 
And then we also know that we have a psychological impact. Because we have a prefrontal cortex, because our brain is searching for meaning, because we need to associate meaning to everything that we're experiencing, we've attached a perception to that event. We made it mean something. We internalized it. We're often not aware of how, what it was that we attached to it. And most often we attach meaning, we attach a perception based on the lens of our past, based on these core beliefs or these core imprints that for, for many of us are what we would quote negative, or I like to use the word like uncomfortable, constrictive beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so we need to become aware of them because those have a huge implication on how we're experiencing that postpartum. If we don't know what to do with all of the emotional material that we're experiencing in our system, it feels too much. We don't know how to move it, feel it, process it. We've never been shown how to be comfortable with grief. We don't feel that we're worthy of feeling grief about our experience. We're ashamed of that. We're mad at ourselves because we are blaming ourselves for our what happened. Why didn't I say something? I should have known better. Why didn't my body work the way it was supposed to work? Why couldn't I handle that pain? We internalize it as if it was always my fault. So mm-hmm. then we're just swallowing all of that. Well, layer upon layer upon layer, this starts to wreak havoc on all of those areas that I said before, right? Mm-hmm. And so if then we are at risk of moving into what we call hyperarousal or hypoarousal, which has to do with our window of tolerance, which is a, which is a concept that was spoken about by Dan Siegel. You can Google his work. Then hyperarousal, are all of the symptoms that we would identify with as anxious. Hypoarousal are all of the symptoms that we would identify with as depressive. And those can show up in all different kinds of ways. We can express that differently depending on who we are. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So what would and the so healing... when we're mm-hmm. oh, I was just go gonna ahead. say what? So say someone's recognizing this, where mm-hmm. do they go with that? What's what's the next step that they should should they do? Is it just simply reaching uh, out for a support group for a therapist? I know you, in your mm-hmm. book you talk about the healing after birth project, and you have exercises. Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. you offer just something that if mm-hmm. someone recognizes this, what's the next step? Yeah, so. A, yes, recognizing it, starting to identify your signs and symptoms, starting to see it through this lens of my nervous system is not in a state of coherence. It's dysregulated. I endured too much stress for too long and I'm stuck in it. That is a far more empowering perspective than some of the language that we use to identify our struggles and unrest in the postpartum. So yes, first identifying it. Secondly, we need to think of it from how do I move this energy? So if it's stuck in my system and it's wrecking havoc on my system, what are the things that I can do to move it out? 
Now, this is where seeking external support who understands this paradigm and this perspective can be so helpful because they can help you somatically. Like, hey, yoga is super good for this. They can help you <laughs> somatically move that material so that you can start to experience the, the releasing of it from your physiology. So, for example, some people um, need the guidance in this area. I'm a big component of or proponent that we have all the information we need within, within ourselves, that you are the sovereign autonomous being that you are and you have access to everything you need. And sometimes we do need external support to help us learn something that we might not be able to see on our own. So one of the ways that you can discharge that energy that can be really helpful is by shaking, moving, dancing, yoga, pushing against a wall, twisting a towel really tightly. But the key is that we're not just letting that energy spew out of us like a faucet. The key is that we're actually staying in that place of observation and witness as this energy is moving. And this is why sometimes having a support person who understands this paradigm can be so helpful because they can help you stay connected to what's happening in your body. And for many of us, that's very scary. And so we have to learn to trust it. And that can take time. Um, so physically you want to look for, and I, I think I made a list in this, but you want to look for things that are going to help you discharge that stressful material. And I'm speaking about it in those ways. It's very scientifically, <laughs> you know, but it's true. That's what's happening. Um, so somatic, um, different kind of somatic modalities. So, uh, body talk, um, touch, touch there or therapeutic touch, uh, Rosen method, uh, you might find like a trauma-informed massage therapist. You might even want to work with um, somebody who's into energetics like Reiki. Uh, you know, so these are some examples. Uh, somatic experiencing practitioner. This is Peter Levine's work. They're trained in this to help you release it somatically. And there's tons of research to suggest that yoga is an excellent complement to um, trauma recovery. So those are just some examples of things you could do right away. Secondly, begin to engage in a meditative mindfulness practice. Download an app. There are some apps that I recommend. I recommend Sam Harris's new app. There's an app called Headspace. Um, by the way, I'm not an affiliate to any of these. I'm just <laughs> recommending them. <laughs> no, I appreciate um, that. Just like you love it. You're putting it out there. Yeah, I love it. I do. And um, sacredacoustics.com. Uh, they have wonderful downloadable guided processes using binaural beats, which I'm a strong, um, I strongly recommend because, and then I also recommend uh, Joe Dispenza's um, meditations that you can download online. So Finding something that will support the practice of learning how to notice and be with what is arising in your internal and external environment. This is a key to our health and our healing. This speaks so loudly to me. I think it's, first of all, I love that you gave some like immediate, like, okay, go get headspace, go do some yoga. Those are great things. My husband's um, a social worker and his specialty is drug rehab. He, he's a, mm. he's a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. And he works and I, he tells me, um, you know, without using names, but tells him about some of the, the situations and just drug rehab in general. And what he and I had a long, often have conversations about is what may have led, and there's many, many things that mm -hmm. could lead to substance abuse. But one mm -hmm. of the things he and I have talked about is not letting yours, not having the tools to feel what's really there, which often leads to uh, diminishing those feelings, uh, leading to some sort of substance. Like it's too That's big right. for me to feel. I don't want to feel it. I don't have this coping skills. I'm going to make that feeling go away and I'm going to use a substance for it. So it's just, what you're saying just resonates of like so much with me, but then also seeing 
what could mm-hmm. happen. Not saying someone has a traumatic experience, therefore they're going to have a substance abuse problem, but just mm-hmm. recognizing if we don't work our way through the mud and mm-hmm. find coping skills, it really can have huge ramifications on one's life. hundred percent. And, and, and perhaps you're familiar with, but if not, I strongly recommend Gabor Mate's work. And especially around what you were just talking about, He's a medical doctor that's specialized in that area and has written tons of books on it. And and so I do strongly recommend Googling his work as well to support exactly what you were saying. This is the this is it. It's not actually very complicated. We just make it complicated. Yeah. It, and and it's that for many of us and, and here's the other piece. Our past is not separate from how we're internalizing and experiencing our postpartum because mm-hmm. we're going to it back to postpartum, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and that's an important piece to recognize and exactly what you were saying is that for many of us, we were not taught or shown how to feel what we're feeling and then how not to be afraid of it. Or even told, don't feel it. That's don't, right. Don't feel it. Just be good. You're fine. You know, like that kind of thing. And for some of us, it was actually very dangerous and scary and unsafe to feel what we were feeling. Mm-hmm. And and so um, when we bring that into what it is that we're experiencing in the postpartum, and we have this imprint that it has has kind of followed us all the way through, and we don't have time to get into epigenetics, <laughs> but that's another area that I'm passionate about. You know, then all of a sudden we don't we're frozen. Mm-hmm. because if we feel too much, I'm going to explode. I will die. And so this moves into the next phase of, you know, what could we do? So once you have looked at some of those options and once you've actively started a, a, some kind of practice, even if it's five minutes, just put on a headset while you're feeding your baby. Take those 20 minutes instead of scrolling on Instagram, put on a headset, listen to these binaural beats. You will give your brain a workout, you know, or take five minutes before you go to sleep at night. Just prioritize it because the research is just unanimous in terms of the positive impact that cultivating a practice of mindfulness meditation has on our mental health and that it is responsible for our capacity to sort out that material. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. So then we need to learn how to feel, right? Because we haven't been taught how to feel. And, and, you know, so again, I'm just using yoga because this is your thing. (laughs) And, you know, yoga is an opportunity for us to get into our bodies, for us to become embodied, for us to notice that we actually store memory, we store emotions, we store unprocessed traumas, we store everything in our biology. And as we move, you know, yoga is the practice of mindfully connecting to that experience and then staying with our breath and watching it rise and fall and allow and those body movements really help us move it so it's no longer stuck right Mm -hmm. so it's a wonderful tool but then some of us need to actually feel safe enough to feel that feeling to feel that emotion and this is where different kinds of coaches therapists um, social workers friends even your postpartum doula, perhaps your um, medical professional, if they're plugged into this, right? We can. We don't have to hire a professional. Sometimes we can just have our partner and our friends be there for us, helping us co-regulate so that we don't feel overwhelmed and dysregulated by that emotional material and learning that we can feel it like a, like the ocean, like a contraction. We can feel that emotion expand to its fullest and we can watch it also resolve itself within a short period of time. Once we learn that this is possible, we're no longer afraid of feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is such juicy information. 
good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm just processing everything you're saying. This is, I like that, that you're giving also then you're giving the ownership back to the person that may have felt their autonomy taken away through the traumas. Thanks. I think that's so important to recognize. So well said. Thank you for highlighting that. Oh, exactly. <laughs> So as we start to wrap things up, is there anything mm-hmm. from your experience as a birth worker and with your, your master's in um, counseling psychology, do you have any final piece that you want to offer new parents? And it could also be not even related to this, just from your experience of being at birth. Is there any mm. last uh, nugget of wisdom? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm collecting my thoughts. And... I know it's not like just throwing your curveball there. <laughs> and and I'm um, dropping into feeling kind of the passion um, that I <laughs> that clearly I have. Uh, you know, it's really important uh, for us moms, and I'm speaking to moms specifically right now for us to recognize that the process of motherhood is an an initiation and that along that continuum, we will be challenged. And that challenge is meaningful. It's meant to challenge us. It's meant to initiate us. It's meant to wake something up inside of us so that we can claim our role and our being as a mother. And, you know, philosophically, my point of view is that when we are in the gutter in our postpartum, and I am not making light of this, I know what it's like to be in the gutter. I know how terrifying it is to be in the gutter. I know how when we're there, when we're in that muck, like you said, we can't even imagine that it's possible that we can find our way out. And we're just trying to survive day to day. But if it's possible to just put a drop of hope in there, that you can find your way, that you're born to find your way, that your system is intelligent, that there's even potentially a purpose in the madness. And that purpose is part of the initiation. For you to own and claim yourself as a mother, separate from any external influence, any external expectation of what it means to be a mother in today's day and age, but that you're owning it for you. And that this is your journey with your child and with your family to rise up and rise out of one of the most challenging utterly vulnerable experiences of your life. And I believe that we have the intelligence and the wisdom to do it. Wow. That was, <laughs> that was a very strong piece of advice and I like it a lot. I really do. Thank okay, you. It wasn't too much. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Okay. <laughs> I was riding along there. So where can people find your work? So you can find my work on my website and you can get to it two different ways, jennifersummerfelt.com, but that's a bit of a mouthful. So you can also find it at jscoaching.co. There's a few different free video series that you can sign up for. One is a paradigm of healing that I've outlined. And then one is the post, you know, what your doctors aren't telling you about postpartum depression that just really highlights everything we talked about today. And you can also purchase my book on Amazon. And if if that really lands for you, like if that's something that you're really aligning with, then there's also the option to work with me one-on-one. I will make sure all this in the show notes, um, along with the name of your book, Healing After Birth, Navigating Your Emotions After a Difficult Birth. So I will make sure all of this, and I'm going to, you threw me some really great stuff. I'm going to look up Dan Siegel, and there's a few others when I re-listen to, Mm. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes as well. Mm. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It was really, I'm actually looking forward to going back and re-listening to this because you had some really big ideas, and (laughs) I know, and I like them. I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm really, I like to sit and kind of marinate with some things to, to kind of help flesh out my own thoughts. So thank you for sharing. Cause you really, you've clearly 
gone deep into this work and from that, and you really felt it. And from that, you're able to give back, especially to those who need. So thank you so much. Thank you, Deb. Thank you for seeing that and highlighting that. It makes, it makes what I do feel valuable. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, enjoy your morning. Take care. I, I will. All right, bye. <laughs> this has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.